For more than a decade, the state has had a Developmental Disabilities Advisory Council tasked with identifying priorities for serving New Yorkers with developmental disabilities. The mandate for the council, whose current form dates back to 2012 and includes about three dozen appointment spots, includes promoting public awareness of people with developmental disabilities and advising the HOCO administration on the development of comprehensive planning efforts. And we're going to talk about the council on today's show. And to do that, we're joined by Kirk Lewis, executive director of the Schenectady ARC, who was appointed to the body in November by the Assembly Democrats. Welcome to the show, Kirk, and congrats on the appointment. Thank you. Thank you, Dave. It's a pleasure to be here. So why did you agree to serve on the Developmental Disabilities Advisory Council? I guess what was appealing to you about this opportunity? Well, you summarize the mission of the council. It is to advise the administration and to advise the commissioner and give feedback on regulations, give feedback on the long-range planning. And this is a, it's a field that's very near and dear to my heart. I've been at Schenectady ARC for 25 years. I've been the executive director for the last 12. Um, I am planning to retire at the end of the year, but I do want to stay involved. And I have a family connection. I've always been an advocate for my brother who gets services from Schenectady ARC. So I see this as a great way to continue Staying involved, and I, I have the perspective of a family member. I have the perspective of a provider. We've been through a really challenging time, so I, I think it's a great opportunity to be part of a group that's going to give good feedback. Prior to this appointment, what sort of awareness of the advisory council did you have? Before this appointment, I have been involved with a variety of provider associations. I'm a part of the ARC New York, which has an executive director's association. So I have been the chair of that up until the last month. And in that role, I was part of the provider association. So the, the provider association meets regularly with Commissioner Neifeld and the senior administration of OPWDD. And it's been very apparent when Commissioner Neifeld has been doing her long-range planning, that she also is involving the DDAC, the DDAC, as she calls it. She's reviewing plans with them. This is a, a, a critical time in our field. We face really staggering personnel challenges, real challenges in bringing people in, keeping people in the field. And so I think strategic planning by OPWDD and by the state of New York is critical. And I, I think the commissioner intends to bring it in, into planning more and into looking forward, trying to develop the path forward that's going to be sustainable and viable for families and for the state. Well, as I mentioned at the top, this is a council that in its current iteration uh, has existed since 2012. And Carrie Neifeld, as the OPWD commissioner, has only been around for a couple of years. So do you feel like the influence of the council has grown in recent years with Commissioner Neifeld? Or has it always had a outsized voice in Albany? I believe it's growing with the commissioner and with her efforts. Again, one of the statutory missions of the, the DDAC is to give feedback on strategic planning. OPWDD had not done a strategic plan until Commissioner Neifeld mm -hmm. came in, and this is something provider associations had been advocating for, but it had not happened until the first plan was published just about a year ago in, in the fall of 2022. So that's a huge start. You know, that's a huge beginning to looking forward. And with that, that brings in that part of the council's role. So I, I do think the council is taking on a more and more important role with the planning and the progress for our field going forward. 
looking at the makeup of the council, which I mentioned has about three dozen slots on it, it seems like it's a mix of providers, family advocates, the occasional self-advocates, some education institutions, county governments, which are in some cases responsible for providing services. What do you think of the makeup of the council in terms of being representative of all the different stakeholders? That's, that's an interesting question. From what I can see, I think it does a good job. But as you mentioned, I was appointed in November. I've yet to attend my first meeting. I know many of the people, and I know many of the leading advocates and some of the really creative minds in our field are involved in the DDAC. The chair, Nick Capaletti, and the co-chair of John Maltby are are well-known for their progressive thinking and for their thoughts about how to move our field forward. And again, you you mentioned the counties. I'm not as familiar with some of the county work, but from what I've seen, I think it's a good cross-section of people. The people who I know, let me put it this way, are very committed, are very forward-thinking, and are great representatives for the field. Well, moving forward, what do you see as some of the big issues that the council needs to weigh on in 2024 and beyond? The issues for the council are the same issues that OPWDD and the state of New York have. It's how do we move from a system that was built on Medicaid, built on a Medicaid models of service, to a more sustainable model of service that really offers a continuum of supports and options for families without breaking the bank for the state and without really being based on unrealistic employment projections because our biggest issue now in the field it it was bad before the pandemic but our our staffing crisis has reached significant proportions it's gotten much worse in the last 2 years and the projections are are not great that you know it's going to get better people are not staying in new york the birth rate is down the the current population that's coming into the workforce is smaller than the population that's starting to need care I'm part of that population that's starting to need care, so I, I have personal interest in this. But we have to figure out what is a better way. How do we use technology? How do we use families? How do we build social networks in communities and, and keep people supported beyond some of the more traditional models that we've had up to date? You mentioned breaking the bank. There's obviously that tension between increasing funding, whether it's for wages so that you can attract people and also just the constraints of say state budgets so is there a meaningful policy change outside of increasing funding that can say address personnel issues and other outstanding issues or at the end of the day does this just come down to an issue of securing larger investments for these services to ensure that more people can have access to high-quality services? Without a doubt, we need a larger investment. The private voluntary sector, which serves about 80% of the people who are in the OPWDT system, we get a significantly lower rate of pay and our our DSPs are, are paid less than their state counterparts. You know, this is one of the few systems where you've got the state operating the same programs that the private providers do, but they're they're getting paid much more. So we need parity there. But beyond that, we need less regulation. We need it to make it easier for people to innovate and to create, and we need to make it easier to bring technology in and to use technology in ways that supports people and keeps them safe and provides the, the assistance that individuals need, 
but that doesn't necessarily require the same staffing levels and some of the prescriptive regulations that we've had, you know, as our system has evolved. What are some of the ways in which regulations can be a burden as opposed to a benefit to the clients you serve? You know, this is a this is a tough one, um, but you know, fire safety regulations. Okay. You know, the 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 state had a horrific episode with the Wells fire many years ago. Um, one of the responses of that was a, a tremendously increased focus on fire alarms and, and safety drills and record keeping. And um, we now have regular inspections of our homes by the Office for Fire Prevention. And it's really difficult to argue against fire safety. Um, but if you went back and looked and said, all right, well, how many fires were there before the Wells fire? How many voluntary fires, you know, voluntary operated homes had fires? where harm occurred, um, the the numbers would be, I think, zero um, or very, very low. When they implemented the new regulations and they require monthly fire drills at our certified houses. My my brother lives in a certified house. My brother stopped going out on fire drills or he started resisting greatly because he knew it was a drill. It was happening so often, he did not want to get up and go out in the cold. He, you know, so again, you can overdo it. You can be over safe. Um, and that backfires. Um, you know, I, thankfully nothing has happened, but in our field, regulations always have to strike a balance between letting people have the risk that everyone else has, has the freedom to have, and providing significant, you know, enough of a safety net so that people have the backstop, have the protection, because they have a developmental disability. And we have a real hard time with that, and the state has a hard time with that, because, and, and again, I, I understand it. If there's one incident, you know, we tend to regulate to the worst case, we regulate to the lowest common denominator, and and then we tend to over-regulate. But um, assumption of risk and the dignity of risk for people with developmental disabilities is a real challenge, and it's a real issue. Well, following up on some of the themes you just brought up there, whether it's uh, reflexive reactions to things, regulations, safety of clients... What's your thought of the Justice Center for the Protection of People with Special Needs after a decade of operations over there? The Justice Center right now is is serving an important function. Um, but again, it, it could be looked at as, as another example of um, kind of a reflexive reaction. It was created by Governor Cuomo after a, a tragic death of an individual who lived in a state-operated home. He appointed a commission... Clarence Sundrum, who was a former director of, um, I think... The Commission on Quality Control. Thank you. Yeah, Quality of Care. Quality of Care, sorry. Yeah. Um, Clarence Sundrum issued a tremendous report where he surveyed not just OPWDD, but the other O agencies, and he looked at what are the factors, what are the issues that contribute to danger of abuse, danger of, um, you know, staff interactions being harmful to individuals who are under care. And one of the primary things that he identified was staffing, staff um, development, staff training, um, continuity of staff. But we had little attention to that, and instead we had the development of the Justice Center. So it's a whole new department focused on reporting requirements, focused on the staff exclusion lists, focused on you know investigations. So we now have a very involved process for investigating and following up on incidents, which sometimes is necessary. 
but many times it's not. You know, we have, for example, we have a, a blanket requirement for certain kind of events that we call the police, um, and then you know they have to notify the, the district attorney potentially. The police will talk to us, and they know that it's not something that they can investigate. You know, it's an in, uh, an aggressive behavior by somebody who is has a behavior plan, but uh, maybe strikes somebody they live with. That's that's not something that they're going to get involved with. That's not something that, you know, if, if we can't handle it in our house, we may call the police and ask them, and they might take a person to a psychiatric center or a local hospital. But to have mandated reporting, to have all of the mandates that go with that, to have overlapping systems of investigation, um, again, it, it's it's become too much. It, it could be pared back without putting our individuals at risk. Well, unfortunately, we're going to have to leave it there. We've been speaking with Kirk Lewis. He is the outgoing executive director of the Schenectady ARC and was recently appointed to serve on the state's Developmental Disabilities Advisory Council. Kirk, thank you so much for making the time and good luck on the council. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to speak. Support for the Capitol Press Room provided by the New York State AFL-CIO, a federation of 3,000 unions fighting for working people by keeping New York State union strong. Visit unionstrongny.org for more information. Join us again for Capitol Press Room, a production of WCNY Connected, Syracuse.